In today's show, we'll cover the basics of Medicare, but before we get to Medicare, I'll go over some current events and give a quick recap of how our financial markets got to where they are today. Welcome to the Excel in Retirement Show. I am David Treese, and my goal is to distill a couple financial planning ideas that could help you excel in retirement. Thank you for listening in. We are honored to have you here with us. You can reach me by calling 864-618-4800 or by emailing me at david at clientsexcel.com. And today's topics... I am pretty passionate about when it comes to these current events and talking about how we got to where we're at. So stick with me. I hope I didn't drink too much coffee. I do love a good cup of coffee. I've got another one sitting close by. So let's jump into some current events. Yahoo Finance published an article with a headline last week that reads, I would say the chances of a decisive Biden victory with the blue wave, the Democrats taking the Senate and keeping the House, the chances are quite good today. That was the chief U.S. policy strategist for AGF Investments. President Trump has seemingly been damaged by the economic downturn with the coronavirus. If you have been following along and discovering how to transition your portfolio to tax-free vehicles in retirement, the opportunity to do so at historically low tax rates is less certain. Tax rates could be going up sooner than we are planning on. Remember the point of diversifying your financial portfolio with tax-free investments is to insulate yourself from the rising tax rate environment we are entering. Also from Yahoo Finance, 70% of Cincinnati's revenue comes from taxes on wages and with the coronavirus continuing to spread, leaving record joblessnesses in its wake, Mayor John Cranley said he fears permanent declines in essential services. Here he is talking, frankly, we need a bridge for an economic recovery. What we are talking about is stabilizing our existing services and figuring out how they don't get diminished. And then the article goes on, the pandemic reduced tax collections across the country as safety precautions to limit the spread of the coronavirus shuttered businesses and kept shoppers and tourists at home. A resurgence of the virus has forced states to reverse or slow reopenings. Cities face $360 billion in revenue losses from 2022, according to some forecasts. I just saw earlier today that the state of Kentucky its unemployment is our unemployment uh, levels are at 40%. And these are just jaw-dropping numbers, really. The obvious solution, though, is more federal aid from the already depleted federal government, which means more money printing, which leads to inflation and or higher taxes, maybe a combination. A congressman from California named Scott Peters said recently, Now is not the time to turn off the faucet when, you know, we should be using our strong balance sheet to borrow to stimulate the economy. Well, that's highly debatable. I'll link in the show notes to this article. It also said, according to the Treasury Department data, the debt held by the public is $20.6 trillion, and the total outstanding national debt is more than $26.5 trillion. 
In 2019, the U.S. gross domestic production, GDP, the total size of the economy was about $21.4 trillion. So, Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey told Just in the News in June that he thinks the national debt will hit $40 trillion by the end of the coronavirus pandemic. So, Congressman Massey thinks that the debt will be up to $40 trillion by the end of the pandemic. This has all been made possible by 20 years of near 0% interest rates. With the exception of 2007, rates have been decreasing or hovering near 0%. You can see this illustrated on a chart I'll link to in the show notes. If interest rates are normalized, we as a country, I don't think we'd be able to continue to go deeper in debt. We would not be able to afford the debt service payments. If you were putting money on a credit card and they kept inching up the, and you had a revolving balance and the credit card company kept upping the interest payments or the interest rates rather, and they went up, 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 eventually you wouldn't have the money to be able to uh, pay the interest. And it's just a mathematical problem. But with, if the credit card company said, well, we won't charge any interest, Theoretically, you could keep, if you had some sort of revenue coming in, keep putting debt on the credit card. But that's not a sound thing to do, is it? Typically, when we refer to what interest rates are, we're talking about the federal funds rate. So what is the Fed funds rate? Some people refer to it as. Investopedia online defines it as the target rate, the target interest rate set by the FOMC. Now that stands for the Federal Market excuse me, Federal Open Market Committee. Sometimes it's just referred to as the Fed. But basically, this is the rate at which uh, commercial banks borrow and lend their excess reserves to each other overnight. This is the interest rate banks pay to lend to each other when they need need overnight loans. So when they need to make a loan overnight, this is the rate they pay. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about interest rates going up or going down. That's basically the benchmark for our economy. What many people don't realize, though, that is in the midst of the stock market rising and making big returns in 2019, in September, the overnight lending rate shot up to 10%, and the target rate is 2 to 2.5%. So the government wants the target interest rate for the Fed funds rate to be to 2 to 2.5%, and it shot up to 10%. The government last September began providing billions of dollars in liquidity to the banks to try to keep interest rates down. From Business Insider, here's a quote. An initial round of the market operation of $53 billion on Tuesday only temporarily reined in borrowing costs. Short-term rates had shot up as high as 10%, threatening to disrupt the bond market and the overall lending system. And this wasn't enough, though, so they ended up upping it to over $75 billion of liquidity that they were offering the banks. And some reports indicate that over $500 billion was injected or available for banks to use last year in 2019. The government had not injected money like this into the financial markets for nearly 10 years. This was an omen that markets were shaky despite the stock market doing well. And it's my strong opinion, going back to the Great Recession, that if the too-big-to-fail banks had been allowed to fail in 2008, we could have built the economy back with much more integrity. You say, David, you're saying the economy is not honest? Well, let's analogize. 
It's like a weightlifter. Maybe he works out day in and day out, but he's just not seeing the results quick enough. So he starts taking steroids. He may immediately see the positive impact of the drug. Propping up the banks and bailing out certain industries does a disservice to the greater economy because the foundation of that bank or that company that got bailed out is built on a taxpayer bailout money. And it's not an honest business, in my opinion. It had a foundational problem, but instead of fixing the foundational issue, we just paper over it by giving it money. The problem with giving bailouts is eventually the problems that we papered over come back. Just like the weightlifter, if he does steroids long enough, his body will start breaking down and he'll have health problems or maybe even a premature death. Let's put it another way. Let's say you have a hole in your drywall at your house, and let's say instead of fixing the hole, you just decide, heck, I'll just wallpaper over it. It doesn't fix the problem. You can't see it right now, but the first time somebody leans against the wall or touches it, the wallpaper will break, right? These issues are really important to understand if you're nearing retirement or you're in retirement. These factors present challenges that need to be planned for in your financial plan. If you have major losses 10 years before you retire, up to 10 years after you retire, what you may be aspiring to do in retirement could be significantly dampened. There are steps we can take to shield ourselves from the impact of economic disruptions in the market. So how do we do this? How do we lessen the impact of economic disruptions? There's a couple ways. We put our money in the bank. That might be one way. But you know what happens then? We go broke slowly because we're not keeping up with inflation. Or we can invest in sound financial products that never lose value when the stock market is down, but go up when the market is positive. And the, here's the caveat, though. We have to set aside greed when looking at these types of fixed products. But then again, once we are, reti once we are retired, we need to transition our investing mindset. While we're working, we are in an accumulation and growth phase. We are saving and, and saving for tomorrow. So let's say you're 40 and the market takes a big crash, downturn, and it just it falls apart you'll typically have time to wait for it to come back because typically people plan to work until they're 65 or maybe even 70 years old. But when we're nearing retirement, really about 10 years before a retirement target date, we need to transition into protection and distribution phase. We need to transition into a protection and distribution phase. So what does that mean? We need a plan in place to limit our downside risk. If you're 62 and you plan to retire at 65 and the market loses 55 or 50% of its value, evidence from the dot-com crash and the 2008 Great Recession crash say that it may take five years or more to even break even. So we want to control the things that we can control so that we can plot our destiny. That's my philosophy. If you're 100% at the whim of the market, things can get really stressful when the market corrects. In order to provide downside protection, though, we have to give up some of our upside potential. But that's just common sense, right? But when we're planning for retirement, we've got to keep in mind that greed is not our friend. And you have to remember, over the last 20 years, if you had invested directly in the market, so you were fully in the market, you would have earned an average of 6%, 6.06%. And for nearly a decade of that time, you earned an average of a negative 1% return. 
So over the last 20 years, the market's returned about 6%. And for 10 of those years, it was a negative 1%. When the market is good, like it has been for the last 10 years leading into 2020, it's really easy to forget what losing money feels like. And this can be a detriment to us. You know, I played basketball in high school, and if you've ever played sports, you probably know this feeling, but I, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a star or anything like that. I was more of a bench warmer, but I played on some good teams, and we won quite a few games. But when you lose a game, it stings, and you come into that next game with this fire in your belly to do better and to, and to not lose again. And so when you go a long time without losing – like some people have done in the market for a while, it can be to our detriment because we forget that passion that we had for wanting to win or not lose the game. And so that's that's the that's a that's an analogy I guess that came to my mind when thinking about this. And so we have to understand that just because the market is going up and we have artificially low interest rates and the government's printing trillions of dollars of money, that sometimes what ha or, or maybe what happens when those things are taken away, we need to think about that. And so we can put those uh, expenses, that money for those expenses inside of a fixed annuity. And we can eliminate sequence of returns risk by using a fixed annuity. We can look to efficient market products to keep up with inflation. Efficient is the key there, though, because often folks come into our office and they show us what they're doing financially. They, they bring in their account statements and one of the first things we look for is inefficient investing. And what that means really is paying a lot of unnecessary fees. Often high fee products like variable annuities are sold by the representative with the understanding to the client that the gains will offset the 3 4 5% or more in fees. But remember, though, when the market is down 20% like it was earlier this year, you're really down 23, 24, 25, or more percent. There are financial products that provide market exposure that are much more efficient than variable annuities. The biggest challenge I have as a financial advisor is helping clients understand the importance of de-risking their retirement portfolio. Next week on the show, we'll be talking about how to de-risk your financial portfolio. And also next week, I'll uncover what's driving the market rebound. So we saw a big dip in 2020 with the coronavirus, and now it's coming back. And so this is going to be a very educational show. I hope you'll tune in for next Wednesday. So now on to our next segment, though, Medicare. When we turn 65 years old, we have an option to enroll in Medicare. If you're still working, you don't have to enroll, but you'll be able to enroll when you quit working or retire. But sometimes, if you're paying out of pocket for your health insurance at all, it may make financial sense to get on Medicare. So how does Medicare work? Part A of Medicare is our hospital coverage. You get this coverage for free if you or your spouse has worked and paid Medicare tax for 10 years. And Part A will cover 80% of your hospital expenses if you are admitted to the hospital. So that admission part is key. So if you go to the ER but you're not admitted, then Part B will cover 80% of your cost. And Part B covers your outpatient care. So doctor's appointments, routine yearly visits, stuff like that. Part A and Part B cover 80% of your health insurance coverage. So what do you do about the remaining 20%? 
you have three options. Pay out of pocket for the remaining 20% is option one. If that's an unattractive option for you, you have two options remaining. You can enroll in Part C, which is commonly called Medicare Advantage, or you can enroll in a Medicare Supplement. And here's where the dilemmas begin. Three months before you turn 65 to three months after you turn 65. So you have a three-month window, three months on each side of your birthday. You may enroll in Medicare. So three months before you turn 65 to three months after you turn 65, you may enroll in Medicare. You have that six-month window. If you're already receiving Social Security, you may receive a red, white, and blue Medicare card in the mail. You'll need to call Medicare to start the coverage, though. Even if you don't want to take Part B because you're still working and have health insurance, uh, by some other means, you can still elect to receive Part A hospital coverage free of charge. When you call Medicare to start Part B, though, there will be a premium you must start paying every month. In 2020, the Part B premium is $144.60, and this will be deducted from your Social Security payment if you're receiving Social Security. So when you either you can either buy a Medicare Advantage plan or a Medicare supplement, and that will cover the other 20% that is that you're responsible for. And some of these Medicare Advantage plans and Medicare supplement plans will cover the Part B premium. With Advantage plans, you have tons of different options, typically, some depending on where you live. Sometimes Advantage plans have zero cost even. HMOs, which are health maintenance organizations, get together with different health insurance providers. The HMO and the insurance company develop a product that covers people who will use the HMO for their coverage. Basically, when you have an Advantage plan, it's important to find out whether the doctors that you go to are in the HMO covered by the Advantage plan you're thinking about buying. That's important. Now, another key point that I've not talked about yet is Part D. That's your prescription drug coverage. If you have original Medicare with Part A and Part B, and then you add a supplement to cover the other 20%, then you'll need to buy a drug plan. Medicare.gov has a tool where you can put in your prescriptions and dosages into the tool, and it will tell you the plan that is best for you, or the cost, and so forth. Some Advantage plans cover your drug cost also, though. And some Advantage plans even offer gym memberships to incentivize you to exercise and work on your health. But here's the downside as I see it. If you like to travel in retirement or you need care outside of your HMO area, you may run into some problems. They may patch you up wherever you're at and send you back to your HMO for care. Or I've seen it be a problem with people when they want to go see a specialist somewhere outside of their HMO. With a supplement, generally, you can go to any doctor who accepts Medicare, which is nearly all doctors. So you can get coverage anywhere, typically. Now, when it comes to picking out a Medicare supplement plan, all the plans are standardized from plan to plan. And there's about 10 different plans that you can pick from, and they all cover or don't cover different things. I'd say that this, but this is debatable though, of course, but the most popular plans I've seen are Plan F and Plan G. And there was rumor there for a while that Plan F was going away, but it persists. Plan F uh, covers generally everything, including your Part B deductible. So you'll pay that premium for your Plan F, and there won't be any other co uh, coverage, or excuse me, any other cost other than for your drug plan coming out of your pocket. 
Remember that $144.60, plan F covers that part B uh, premium there. Plan G, so you get original Medicare and you add a plan G, it does not cover the plan B premium. That's the, really the only difference between plan F and plan G is one covers the part B premium and one doesn't. They cover everything else. But here's an important detail. The first time you enroll in an Advantage plan or supplement, the insurance company cannot ask you any health questions. So if you have health issues, this can be very important to make a good decision because they cannot ask you any health questions that may uh, affect the cost of your plan. You can change supplements any time of the year, though. And uh, if you wanted to go from a plan F to a plan G, you could do that any time. With Advantage plans, you can only change that during the AEP or the annual election period, which is in the fall. This is the time when you can change your drug plan also. When you change these plans, they'll go into effect the following year on January 1. I know this is a lot of info to digest, but it's important. It's a very important area to be able to navigate well when you're turning 65. If you're curious how much these plans cost or would like to talk more about them, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to answer any of your questions. That's our show for today. I really appreciate you listening in. And don't forget, next week on the show, we'll be talking about how to de-risk your financial portfolio. And I'll uncover what's driving the market rebound in 2020. It's going to be a very educational show, and uh, I think you'll like it. Also, I enjoy hearing from our show listeners. If you have questions or would like to chat, I can be reached at 864-618-4800, or you can email me at david at clientsexcel.com. See you next week. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. AE Wealth Management and Clients Excel are not affiliated companies. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying abilities of the insuring carrier. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet particular needs of an individual situation. Clients Excel is not permitted to offer, and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions contained herein provided by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Clients Excel. The use of logos and or trademarks of podcast hosting sites are the property of their respective owners and are not an endorsement by those owners of our firm or our program.